1: folks welcome to a special bonus interview here is the rest of our interview with m scott smith where he's talking about some various editing projects that he's worked on over the years we're talking about mobsters we're talking about the crow we're talking about dark man some good stuff here i didn't want to leave it on the cutting room floor thank you very much and enjoy you've worked on so many fascinating projects i mean stuff that i'm a big fan of especially you know things like dark man and um the crow i mean the crow had to have been quite an amazing editing job just because of the the tragedy that happened on set try to to salvage that film
0: you know that was one of those uh, you didn't see it coming and when it happened it was it was very uh, a powerful powerful recognition of what had happened to him how it happened and who was at fault? Whenever shooting, when we were working on the Crow, the majority of the stuff was shot at night. And so I would come in the, during the day and I would do my day work. You know, I'd cut a bunch of stuff and you know do what I normally do. And the crew would come in in the evening and they would shoot all night. So then like the next day I'd get the dailies and we would, you know, just uh, I'd run the stuff for the director before they'd go out and shoot. And, and I'd just continue to cut. And I came into the building one day and they said, what are you doing here? And I, I kind of looked at the production secretary and I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you must not know. Brandon got shot last night. I said, what? And that was uh, it, it was just like, you know, one of those like, are you kidding me moments? And they said, yeah, no, come on. Uh, it, let's go into your editing room. I need to talk to you. And then the, the producer, Bob Rosen, wants to wants to see you. And so they proceeded to tell me about what happened. And I was like blown away. And, you know, how could this happen? And uh, and I'll kind of abbreviate the story. But then I spoke with the producer and he kind of came in, closed the door and said, look, Scott, what I need for you to do is to pack up everything, take it back to Los Angeles. I'm going to put you into an an editing room. It's going to be a nondescript location. and said, I just basically want you to close the door and just cut the movie. I need you to show me exactly what we don't have. And I said, okay, Bob, you know, and he said, how fast can you do that? I said, well, I don't know. You know, can I go, you know, seven days a week? He said, yes, I think we need to do that. Paramount was supposed to be the distributor and now they're concerned and they want to see what we do have and what we don't have. And so at that point I said, great. And packed everything up. And, um, the following day we basically took off for, uh, to come back to Los Angeles. And that's when I got word that, um, Brandon's um, girlfriend uh, was flying into town. You know, he had been put on life support. He had basically flatlined. They were coming in to, to actually just, you know, um, authorize them to take him off life support. And it was just, you know, just a, a very tragi- tragic situation that happened. And what I come to find out was back in Los Angeles, the FBI wanted to look at the dailies. They wanted to see what was, what was captured on camera. And so, you know, I, we had the dailies and, um, and the film hadn't been sunk up. And so I got a call and they said, can you sync that up and bring it over? We we'll want to screen it with these, you know, with these agents. And I said, well, you know what? I, I really don't want to see this film. And I said, I'll have one of the assistants sync the dailies up and um, they'll bring it over and you guys can screen it. And I said, look, uh, you know, I'm going to have to sit and look at this guy all day long. I don't want to see what has happened to him. I don't want that in my in my." Imagery. You know, I don't want to retain that because I got to look at this guy. I got to make this guy a star. I got to, you know, I got to work with him. And so they went ahead and looked at it, and the FBI ended up confiscating the uh, the picture, the picture in the track. And they said, you know, we're going to take this and, uh, you know, it's evidence. We're going to keep it. And at that point, I said, great, you guys can have it. And we just went ahead and went to the lab and ordered up a reprint and resunk everything up and had it. But I, I never used it, I never looked at it. You know, but we had it in case somebody else needed it as a reference. The Crow was just—I mean, it was a great film—and um, you know, Paramount, like I say, they were supposed to distribute it. And after after I had cut the movie, you know, everything that I was able to work with, I had cut. It took a few months to do it, and you know, we um, did a little temp uh, temp soundtrack to it, and then made presentation to Paramount, and they said, "You know what, guys, I think we're going to pull out. We're, we're we don't we don't want to deal with this film." So it became an independent and the producer, Ed Pressman, you know, he said, you know what, we're going to start shopping this around. And so as producers, they did. They started inviting different studios to take a look at what we had. You know, nobody wanted to touch it. They were too afraid, you know, because it was kind of a, you know, one of those, um, you know, (laughs) it just was had bad mojo written all over it. You know, and then they finally, I mean, they basically came to me and said, okay, Scott, we're going to shut everything down. We're, we're going to close the editing room doors and we're going to let people go because we don't know what to do with the film right now. You know, so I said, okay. And basically, I, I left the movie. And um, at that point, they brought in another editor. I moved on with my life. They brought in another editor named Doug Honig, who I actually went in and met with Doug, and we ran the movie. And, um, you know, I said, look, I'm, I'm, I've got to go. He said, great, I'm going to take over the picture. And so we kind of shook hands, and, and I moved on. What they did from that point on was to look at the movie and rewrite everything and trying to, trying to figure out how to fill in the gaps. You know, so that's where Dove came in and he ended up cutting the scenes that, that they'd shot. And the two of us took, uh, we shared a credit on the film as the editors. It could have been much better, but what, what they were able to do with what was salvageable, you know, it became a cult classic. You know, it was a, it was a good film. It was a very good film. You know, and, and it's gone on to make many, <laughs> many more of them. Crow was an amazing movie. It's too bad it had to have such a uh, tragic, you know, uh, story. Brandon Lee was—he was a—he was would come in the editing room and just kind of hang out and watch me cut stuff. He didn't talk to me very much. He'd say, "Oh wow, that looks good," you know. I mean, he just came in and would just sit. I and mean, he would leave, <laughs> you know. And he was a very, a very quiet guy. Um, I didn't get to know him at all, you know. But I didn't want to see him take the shot. And ultimately what had happened, my experience was that um, prior to this happening on um, the second unit crew would come into the editing room and they'd, they'd ask me, Scott, you know, what do you need for, you know, for these scenes? Is there any, anything we can shoot for you? And at one point, you know, they came in, and I said, yeah, you know, it'd be nice is, you know, we're showing, we're featuring this, this gun. If you guys could, Shoot inserts, you know, like shots of the um, the 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 lead sticking out of the 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 cylinder on the gun. You know, like if you pull the trigger, you see the cylinder turn. If you could shoot like inserts of the hammer, the cocking of the gun, and stuff like that. So they did. They took that the actual weapon that was used when Brandon got killed. They had used that probably two weeks prior to it shooting all these inserts. And and what I what I truly understand what happened was. When they had finished with their shoot, they they did not clean the weapon. And they had like false tips, little lead, false lead tips inside the cylinder for theatrical purposes only. And my understanding is when they put the truck or put the gun back on the prop truck, nobody cleaned it. And when they brought it out to use it again, they went ahead and used full flash loads and nobody cleaned it. And so when they put the loads in for the dramatic effect, you know, that makes that nice big flash. That's what propelled one of those false lead pieces into Brandon. And it bounced around him I and that's what tore him up, ate up his aorta. It was just such a tragic thing that could have been avoided. I mean, it, when I look at the film again, I mean, it's a good film. I mean, it truly is. It's just so bad, you know, that, that, you know, a mistake had to happen. And it cost him his life because he had, you know, I mean, he was he had a, an amazing career that was just starting to take off. But that's part of what the draw of that film was: is the the dark side of it. You know, people want to see what happened. You know, so when Miramax picked the film up and decided to, you know, take it to the finish, I, they did very well with it. <laughs> it's just one of those things that you know people wanted to see. You know, that's you know what they say is is Bad press is still good press. You know, when when you're talking about the crow and people say, Oh, isn't that the one where he got killed? It's like, yeah. Well, I wanna see it. What happened? So it ultimately it made a made a ton of money and and uh, you know, it's uh it's a cult classic.
1: When you're working on a film like that with your dad or even with another editor, how are you breaking up the work? Are you like, Okay, I'm gonna work on this scene, and then he'll work on this other one, and then you'll see how the two play off each other. How is that?
0: Working with multiple editors um, is a. I'm going to jump backwards in time a little bit. Um, I cut a film called Mobsters at Universal, and that was a film that had a. Uh, the director, uh, Michael Kharbelnikov, very talented director. He he came from the commercial world, and and got on board Mobsters. And um, at the time, I got hired onto that film. Met with Michael. Universal approved me. I started working on the movie. We started shooting. And there was another film, and I'm not going to drop any names or anything. But there was another film that had a um, excuse me had a release date um, that was going to be ahead of our film. Our film was scheduled to come out, but there was another one. Ultimately, that film ended up getting into trouble. What Universal did was they, they took our film and swapped out our release date with their release date. So we injected our film into their, into their <laughs> yeah, oh boy. And so um, Universal came and said, you know what? Your schedule was from here to here. Guess what? We're going to cut you in about half. Can you do it? <laughs> and it's like, can we do it? Of course we can. But, you know, we're cutting on film. I'm going to need some more bodies, and I'm going to need some help. And so they said, okay. They uh, approved another editor. Well, I brought in a friend of mine um, and uh, he interviewed for the film and ultimately got on board. And uh, we <laughs> we basically had to do twice the amount of work in half the time. So what was happening in the editing room while we're shooting is like, OK, this scene is being shot now. Joey, why don't you take this scene and I'll take this scene. And so that's, you know, we just kind of would divide it up as we go and looking at the production schedule, looking at the shooting schedule and just kind of mapping out on paper, so to speak, who's going to be available, who's going to be doing what. Because on this particular film, it had had a lot of uh, music. It was like a musical, had a lot of playback scene, uh, music playback stuff. It was it was a uh, it was a challenge because, you know, the studio wanted to ramp it up quicker. So ultimately, we ended up working seven days a week, you know, pretty much uh, not completely around the clock, but um, pretty much around the clock. And uh, I think at one point we had uh, 10, 10 people in the picture editing department, um, you know, on the lot at Universal. And um, down the hall, because we were under such a schedule, we brought in um, music editors, brought in our sound designers, and had all of our, once again, like, you know, having all the the, the post-production talent, you know, in the same area. Just because we we had to turn stuff over so quick that, you know, it's like you'd cut a scene, everybody would approve it. Okay, great. Let's move it on down the hallway. Send it over to music. Let them look at it. Okay, they're going to start bringing in some temp music. Okay, send it over to the sound effects guys. All right, start looking at backgrounds. You know what we're going to need here because we're going to have to loop this scene that didn't get recorded well. So we all, you know, had to get this flow going. And uh, ultimately, we ended up making the date. The film came out. It did pretty well. And, um, you know, how did we choose? How do you... Well, it just all depends on who's available and what scenes are coming at you, you know, because sometimes, you know, they may shoot part of a scene, you know, say in, in September and they're not going to get to the rest of it until November. So you can, you know, you don't have a full scene to work with. So you put that aside, you know, and, and just try to work on stuff where you actually have, you know, a complete scene or one that's very close to being complete so that you can, you know, put it together in, in, in an order that's going to, um, you know, not only be a script, but to also satisfy the director and uh, you know, try and get a flow going. You know, and then once you like like on Mobsters, you know, it, it it had a lot of action, it had some playback scenes, some dance numbers, it had a lot of a, a lot of different, what do I wanna say? A lot of different flavors. So you gotta find out who's <laughs> who's better at doing what. Okay, well, here's an action scene. You wanna take the action scene or you wanna do the playback scene? And it's like Joey would say, okay, well, you know what? Here, uh, I did the last playback. So let me do this action. I say, okay, great. I'll take the next playback. So we just kind of move it around, you know, and uh, get a little taste of everything. Every film has a different flow, you know. Sometimes you'll just get a budget, you know, that says, okay, here, here, you've got X amount of dollars, you've got X amount of time. Can you deliver it and fill this? You know, we've got to fill this theater. Can you do it? It's like, yeah, sure. What's it going to take? Well, I'm, I'm going to need at least two editors. I'm going to need two music guys. I'm going to need three of these. You know, this is what it's going to take to get you into the theater. And, you know, of course, the studios usually balk at it. But then when you look at it and say, OK, well, you know, we're not going to make it. they don't, They, they don't like hearing that. They want to hear, OK, we're going to make it. But, you know, I'm going to need this. You know, they don't always agree with it. But when you put it down on paper, you know, it's like, OK, well, if I have these two guys and you get me my sound people now, we can get ahead of the curve. So when when you want to actually put it into a theater and run it for an audience, we can do that. But if not, it, you know, we're not going to make that. And that's when they usually say, okay, well, go ahead and do what you got to do because we need to make a presentation. Working with others, you know, of course, you want to take all the credit and do it all by yourself. But, you know, there's just, uh, you know, when we're cutting on film, as opposed to digital, you need more hands on deck. Nowadays, with digital, you know they're they're trying to whittle the bodies down and try and get one guy to do all the work because it's all in a computer. You know, doing films nowadays, uh, the the budgets are coming down, the post production schedules are getting shorter, and there's less time, you know, to actually tune films. You know, because the the studios are are, are like under the impression that. Because everything is digital, it can be done much faster. That's not necessarily necessarily the case. You know, it, just because it's on digital means you can play with it more, which means that <laughs> the more you play, the longer it's going to take. Um, right. you know, because you can, you know, you can do you can do a lot more on digital than you can on film.
1: The story you're telling about mobsters reminds me of the adage about you, know, you can't take nine women and have them give birth to a baby in a month you know it's, it's a one woman job for nine months so it, it just must have been so intense to have all of those people working on the same thing at the same time
0: yes it's it's intense it is intense but if you have the right crew you know having worked with these people many times on different features you know you know who you know who's going to be doing what and and choreographing that and then getting your workflow down um you know it, it can be a pleasure because you know i can cut a scene you know and i can call my assistant and say okay i'm done with this take it over here do this check sync on it you know and, and you, you generate a workflow and he's going to say okay from here i'm going to take it over to those guys we're going to have to send it out we're going to you know make dupes and then pass those out to the sound designers and it, it's it's like controlled chaos but if you have the right people who know how to do their job, you don't have to, you know, walk through and point your finger all the time saying, you know, I need this and, you know, do this and do that, because they already kind of know the flow. When you work with, in post-production, and I'm going to back way up, you know, in post-production, there's a lot of wheels that turn when you're working on film. And so a lot of people who that don't know how it all works are kind of mesmerized by how it actually works. When you're the lead film editor and you understand what your schedule is, and you understand what your deadlines are, you just basically kind of back up your workflow and say, okay, if we're going to make it here, back up 10 weeks, that's my dubbing schedule, back up five weeks, there's my scoring, back up four more weeks, that's what it's going to take me to turn over to visual effects, you know, you just kind of back everything in and then you look at the bigger picture and you say, okay, here we go, guys, this is our schedule. Put it, you know, put it on your calendar, map it out. I mean, nowadays it's all done in your computer, but in the old days we used to just write it all down, put it on cards and put it on our wall and say, okay, there's week one of filming. There's the, there's the theater date. Now let's just back it in and just try and get a workflow. And that's kind of how we used to do it. Um, you know, and you just kind of try and hit those dates. <laughs> you know, I and mean, once you get your your editor's assembly, you know, that's going to be your, the longest version of your movie, and at that point, what I used to do is send, send that version out, make a dupe of it, make a copy of it, put it in a film rack, and just leave that alone, and then just go ahead and start working on the movie with the director and start recutting everything. Because usually, at some point, somebody will say, hey, didn't you have – yeah, pull that old version out. Let's look at that as a reference. You know, and people, you know, I mean, when you're cutting a feature film, it goes through a lot of different formulas. You know, it's just like you, it starts out with the, the editor's cut or the assembly, and it goes into your director's cut, and then the producers come in, and then the studio comes in. And so you have all these different versions of the same movie. It can, it can become very time consuming and, and, um, costly. <laughs> you know, the, uh, I've worked on films where they, you know, it it may have had an eight-month schedule, but it it took 16 months to get it done because, you know... Judy was boring. Hello.
1: Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions
0: apply. See website for details. It just wasn't meant to be done a certain way. Or, you know, I I did a film called Sniper, which I got called in to look at. It was a, a film that was in trouble. When I started working on the film, I basically asked him to give me time. Let me let me actually take the entire film, take it all apart because it was all cut on film. Let's reconstitute all the dailies. Give me a couple of weeks. Let me just sit down with a script and let me start recutting. Let me cut your movie for you according to the script. And as I was cutting that film together, I started to find out that they hadn't shot certain scenes. And so when I'm cutting this film together, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm working on my own. I've got my crew and the director is not involved because I, they, you know, when they call me in to fix a film, it's like, just leave me alone and let me do what I do. And I'll make a presentation. So when it came time to make that presentation, there was a lot of holes in that movie. And, and, you know, sitting down and talking to the director and then talking to the producers came to find out that they just, they just didn't shoot stuff. And it's like, okay, well. <laughs> How, how are we going to fill these holes, guys? And they said, well, I guess we're going to have to go out and shoot some stuff. So that was a film that should have probably taken six months to redo. And it literally took almost 18 months because once we had it on its feet, they looked at it, you know, as they usually do. And they go, oh, wow, well, we're, we're in trouble. What are we going to do? And so you bring in the writers and you start trying to tune the film and find the best movie that's there and then enhance it. And so that film, I mean, we shot a whole bunch of different scenes that, that didn't exist that actually brought that film together and made it, uh, made it a successful film. But that took a long time to do. Some films take longer than others. And that was, you know, that's another one that was a, uh, a small film that came out and um, Sniper became a franchise. You know, it, it, it was a it was a film that was going away. You know, it's like it was never going to be seen. But you know, given the proper amount of time, you know, invest some money, get the right people on board, and we were able to craft a film that came out, did well, made a lot of money, and became a franchise. You know, it's like uh, like The Crow, another one. It, it probably should have gone away, but it didn't. Bring in the right people, put the right amount of money together, and fill in the holes, and do the best thing you can. And, another franchise.
1: What are some of the movies that you worked on where we might not have recognized the first version of it? So the stuff where things have been taken out or rearranged or just like such such massive differences between those original visions and what we ended up seeing at the theater.
0: You had brought up uh, during conversation, Darkman. Okay. Darkman was another one of those. And I'm, I'm saying one of those because uh, over the course of, of a career, you get called in to look at a lot of films. When you start fixing films, people start calling you like a film doctor. My father, Bud, was known as a film doctor, you know, a very talented man. And he would call me out of the blue and say, Hey, Scott, what are you doing? I said, Well, why? <laughs> He'd say, Well, I just got a, I got a call. You want to meet me over at the studio? We're going to go take a look at a film. I said, sure, sure. Let's go see what you got. And Dark was one of those calls. And he called me out of the blue and, and said, hey, I've, I've got this film and, um, uh, and I'm not going to mention any names, but people that we had worked with in the past were producing this film and they, they had some concerns. And so it's like, OK, let's go see what let's go see it. Let's see what they've done, see what they have or see what they don't have. And so we went into a screening room and um, sat down and was basically told there's this director. This is his product. And the studio is not real happy with the product because the product that they're seeing is not what they thought they were going to get. So, okay, keep that in the back of your head. Sit down, you know, watch the movie. The movie, you know, start watching the film. And you know, I can see that uh, there's a lot of a lot of uh, composites, a lot of visual effects and stuff that hadn't been completed or even started. And um, looked at the movie and lights come up and, you know, Bud Knight, you know, kind of sat there and talked a little bit about the film and and uh, decided, yeah, let's let's take this on. It looks like there's something here. We're not sure what the something is yet, but it had something in there that was it just kind of it looked like it was going to be cool. You know, it's called Dark Man. All right. Well, read the script and you go, OK, cool. Well, it's a Rob, you know, Rob Tappert and Sam Raimi are doing this film. Oh, OK, great. Now. Now it starts to come together, all right? Well, the, Rob Capert and Sam Raimi have a, a great uh, sense of humor. And this was like, I think this was Sam's first big movie studio film. So when I say that, the studio, I think they thought they were financing a serious film. And Rob and Sam were delivering a more tongue-in-cheek type film. So there was a little miscommunication. Um, and as we start to work on this film, it's like you can start to see some of the tongue in cheek humor, but the studio wasn't, they thought it was serious. They thought it was going to be, you know, a real action movie, which it was, but you had to, you had to have a little uh, humor in there. You, you had, you as an audience had to be able to recognize that some of this is just, it's a movie, guys, um, and it's supposed to be funny what ultimately we ended up doing was recutting the entire film and trying to make it into a serious film, which it just wasn't there to do. So when we made our, our cut, our assembly, we watched it and it plays fine, but it's not, it's not a serious movie. So how do you make it into a serious film? Well, it, it uh, the studio wanted a serious film, Rob and Sam, they had tongue in cheek, you know, that's what they wanted. so, ultimately, we delivered a finished version of the film, but it had to have the blend of both serious and comedic. And so, you know, I mean, when you look at the movie, if you're familiar with it, I mean, when this guy's flying around hanging from the bottom of a helicopter, I mean, how serious is that? You know, you have to be able to look at it and go, this is, you know, you got to expand your mind and, and just take serious out of it. So when we, when we were working on that and then developing the combination of serious and comedy and then making the presentation to the studio, you know, it started to come together. They started to understand it. And then they got behind it. And that's what really helped that film was getting all those, and I say talented people again, getting the talents together and then coming up with a game plan of how to make this film, how to market it, coming, coming up with the proper Trailers and stuff like that that are going to sell this thing. Again, another one of these movies that it took a long time to do and it had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different versions. Now, the ultimate version that's in the theater is not the version that was on paper. So that movie took a lot of crafting to get the studio on board. All right. And then to tune it and then to get, to get some of Sam's humor in there. So enough of it that, that Sam was happy. You know, and enough of it. So the studio was happy because, again, when you're working with some some and this is just my experience working with certain executives, they just don't have a sense of humor. Sometimes they just don't see it. And and so then it becomes a challenge trying to sell them on it. Um, ultimately, that film, you know, had to have a blend of everything. And when it came out, another one of these, it could have gone away. But, um, you know, it, it ultimately came out, and I think it became a franchise also. So it's another one of those where it could have been put on a shelf and nobody would have ever seen it. It's ultimately the studio that makes the, the decision. Are we going to go forward with this, or are we going to just wipe it away? And so getting the call, here, this is the last-ditch effort. Let's call these guys. Let's see what they can do with this. And uh, ultimately, they uh, they got their money's worth, and we delivered a good film. You know, something that made money. It helped Sam. You know, helped elevate his career and move him up the ladder. And you know, he and Rob have gone on to make you know amazing films. You know, that's just one Dark man It was Dark uh, Darkman almost went away, but Darkman got saved. And uh, you know, it's just uh, you know, it is what it is. It's Darkman. I mean, I've got a poster of it in my uh, in my building down in Burbank, and, and I look at that and I say, yeah, that was a cool film. It was. It had a had a good. Uh, Good combination of, uh, you know, talented people on board.
1: Yeah, I always felt that that was kind of a good uh, working out of things for when he would do uh, Spider-Man.
0: Well, it was, you know, seriously, it was Sam's first big money film. I mean, that's his first studio, his first chance at, you know, working in the big leagues. I mean, Sam's great. I love that guy. He's just an amazing guy. Another one these sense of humors that... um you know, he's, he's, he's got it. <laughs> what he's able to put on the screen, a lot of people don't get it. And, and that's where I was, um, oh God, my name is Bruce. All right. Bruce Campbell. That's what I met Bruce Campbell on Dark Man. He was, uh, he was, you know, one of Sam's guys. You know, he, he's an actor. He'd been in a lot of Sam's stuff, <clears throat> but he was also, um, he was kind of involved in that film in post production. And you know, before we got to it, um, Bruce was he was part of that uh, their team, I guess. And so that's where originally we we're you know got got to meet Bruce, get to know him a little bit, um, you know. And along the way, I mean, I, I like Bruce, nice guy, good guy, funny guy, you know. But he wasn't quite the um, the star he is today, you know. So so knowing Bruce and having worked with him a little bit, you know, many 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 years later, getting a call from Bruce, hey. I got this little film. It's called "My Name Is Bruce." Would you cut it for me? <laughs> and I said, "Absolutely, I'd love to cut it." When I got to know Bruce, I mean, very nice man, very nice man, very talented, a kind heart, just a just a good guy, you know. And then getting a phone call to to try and work with him on on one of his own films, a film he was going to direct. I, you know, it's like I can't say no to that, you know. whatever. and and uh, you know being able to um read his script you know before he started shooting and he had a shoestring budget on it you know it's like uh, yeah absolutely whatever it takes i'd love to i'd love to cut this you know just because i know what's going to happen it's going to be one of those wonderful films it's completely tongue-in-cheek and 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 just just it'll be fun to work on just to work with bruce you know but then to watch him watch bruce do what he does you know you let him go let him direct i mean he's got a great sense of humor and uh you know being able to cut my name is bruce was a pleasure you now i mean and again shoestring budget you know, it wasn't any money um, but it was all about working you know getting a couple of good people together to cut a cut a movie you you direct it just send me what you got i'll cut it and then we'll get together when you're available and we'll we'll tune it we'll make it come to life and that's what happened. He shot it, sent us the footage. I would cut it and, you know, try and get it into a into a place where it's presentable and, you know, send him a presentation. He'd say, great, I'm going to be coming into Los Angeles. You know what? Let's get together. I've got like three weeks. Like, awesome. <laughs> so he flew into town or actually, no, I take it back. He drove He drove his car from uh, up north and came into Los Angeles and arrived in the editing room and, sat down and, and probably had the best three weeks of work. I mean, just had a blast working with Bruce, a lot of laughs. And, uh, you know, he actually had had a, had a, a vision in his mind that he wasn't able to capture to shoot, um, when he was shooting. So when he came back, we started working on, on his version of the movie. And he said, I'm going to do this. I want to insert these guys here. I got to go shoot these guys singing. <laughs> I said, What? He said, Yeah, no, no, just trust me. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. So he did. He went out and shot this footage, it showed up and I started cutting it all together and he said he came into the cutting room and said, Here, put this here, put that there, put that there because it wasn't really scripted, it's just an idea that he had. And he captured it and recorded the, the guy's singing and we went ahead and cut you know, there's little cuts of these guys playing singing this this song. And um ultimately it's it's just another one of those uh, filmic things that if you weren't there, you wouldn't know how it came together. But when somebody has a vision and they, they say, you know what, I'm going to make this work. And then all of a sudden they bring it to the table and you're looking at it. And you're going, I, I really don't see it. But then you go ahead and cut it together. and It's like, well, wow, there it is. You know what? You were spot on. This actually <laughs> it's actually going to work, man. Good idea. And and working on my name is Bruce was, was a combination of of uh, experimentation and Bruce actually shooting stuff knowing that knowing exactly what he was going to get by doing it you know if, when I looked at the footage I'm saying wow this is kind of wonky but it's gonna be it's gonna be okay because I mean you have to you have to expand your mind when you're working with these types of filmmakers you know they've got a vision. But it, it doesn't come together until you actually cut the stuff in the cutting room, and you're able to put the pieces together the way that they want it. And it's like, wow, okay, that's gonna work. My name is Bruce. What a what a great little movie. You know, if you're able to extract yourself from from seriousness and just go for the ride, it's a wonderful film.
1: No, it's, it's definitely great. And I love how much his personality comes through in that movie. Even that, uh, the, the fake schmarmy personality, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, when he takes the guy in the wheelchair and you know, you, you, what is it? Uh, you like rawhide? Well, yeah. let's get them doggies rolling.
0: <laughs> Looking at the dailies, you're going, wow, well, you know, I don't know, but, but, you know, understanding the circumstances and how it's going to go together, it, it works great. It's, it's a film that, I don't know. Some people don't get it, you know. And but but I, I loved it. I mean, working with Bruce on that movie was a blast. Yeah, just just a, p- a pleasure to work with. You know, it's like I, I I'd
1: cut a film for him anytime. Mr. Smith, thank you so much for your time. This was wonderful talking with you.
0: Well, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, Mike. I, uh, you can call me anytime. There's probably a few more films we can we could talk about.